Podcasting from Astrolab Studios, this is Continuum Drag, a weekly podcast where we revisit sci-fi, fantasy, and just plain weird shows that have faded from the collective consciousness and didn't quite make the impact that they intended. This week, Frank Herbert's Dune, Part 1. Arrakis. Dune. Wasteland of the Empire. And the most valuable planet in the universe. Because it is here... And only here, where spice is found. The spice. Without it, there is no commerce in the Empire. There is no civilization. Arrakis. Dune. Home of the spice. Greatest treasure in the universe. And he who controls it, controls our destiny. Welcome to Continuum Drag. The podcast that walks without rhythm so it won't attract the worm. I'm Luke, here with my co-host Jordan. What's real, Jordan? I'll tell you what's real. He who controls spice controls destiny. (laughs) I was pretty ready. Uh, That's right, Jordan. This week we are watching the 2000 miniseries Frank Herbert's Dune. Yeah, you could really do a drinking game with any time someone says spice. In about five minutes you'd be drunk. It's a spice-heavy movie. Yeah, it is a a spice-heavy movie. Uh, I mean, well, let's get into it then, I guess. I mean, Jordan, uh, what's your what's your history with Dune? I've never read the book. I've always meant to. It's one of those, you know, books that are sitting there and I'm like, I'm going to get to Dune. I just haven't got to it yet. Um, but I did watch the uh, the 84 movie. I think it was 84 it came out, right? I think that's right. I actually watched it rather recently in the last year or so for the first time. So my perspective is, you know, in 2018 or 2019, whenever I watched it, and I'll be honest, I, I did not love it. I know people think it's a classic and or at worst a cult classic, but it, it I did not love it. Did you, did you really like that movie? I'm not sure you're right about people loving it. I think people don't love it. Oh, is that right? I, I assume that everyone enjoyed Dune. I found it to be a narrative mess and rather poorly acted and really plotting. No, I think the the general consensus is not a good movie. I will say I am an apologist. I actually think I kind of like David Lynch's version. It's not a perfect film by any means, but I enjoyed watching it when I saw it. Right. I think it's it's got a lot of imagination and it's uh, can be a lot of fun. And you've read the book, right? I've also read the book, so I, I've I've read it in I don't know, must have been like two thousand two. So it's been a long, long time since I've read it, and I don't remember it particularly well. I, I think it was okay though. That's what I remember. Do they say spice a lot? I mean, it's all about the spice, George. It's all about the spice. That's the that's the whole thing. The one thing I thought was interesting is this miniseries we're watching is different in one way from everything else we've watched so far this season in that I don't think this was ever intended to become a TV series. This was intended to be a miniseries, a long adaptation of the book, and it actually did very well for sci-fi. It, at the time, was the highest rated show that they had had on, and it won some Emmys which is kind of crazy to me. And it was successful enough that it had a sequel, Children of Dune, in 2003, a, a sequel uh, miniseries. Right, right. Yeah, I, I read a little something about this too that was for a while like sci-fi's like highest rated show or like viewed show. In terms of that, this was a success because it spawned a sequel and I, I don't think that was ever intended. And also, I know everything we've sort of watched has been, you know, failed attempts at series. And I don't think that's what this was was meant to. Yeah, be. no, I think this was supposed to be a standalone piece. And I, I mean, it's kind of um, impressive that it made a, like a second miniseries that come off because I think Dune has, I don't know, four or five sequel books. So there's lots of story right. to pull from, I guess. And uh, I, certainly this is probably the furthest anyone's ever visualized the Dune, the Dune franchise. Right. So, Jordan, this came out December 3rd, 2000. What, what would you have been doing if you weren't watching this uh, highly rated television program? You know, I have to think. So this was in 2000. H- how old were we, Luke? We were, we we were been, 18. would have been in 18. I would have been, I would have been in high school. Uh, I'd have been spending a lot of time in the music room in high school. That, that was my, my thing. I hung, you know, in a lot of bands. You were in bands? Not like cool bands. Like I was in jazz band and you know, pit band and senior band and what did you play? Things. I play trumpet. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah, I did. I did a lot of that in high school. So and it was also a good way to avoid other things. So like, 
I, I could hide from doing like you know my proper proper homework and stuff and just hang out in there were you like really big into the uh cherry poppin' daddies or whatever they're called the what you know that uh the, the cherry poppin' daddies those uh what, what's that brand of music called the big band rebirth that came with swingers oh with oh with with like uh like brian seltzer orchestra that sort of thing sure sure so what, what, what did what did you call them the cherry poppin' daddies is that what they were called that sounds like a name that i wouldn't have agreed to i'm looking it up right now i definitely would not have called myself a cherry poppin' daddy in high school well, they were, that was the band. It was, it's not what you called yourself. I thought you meant that was the genre, what they were referring to themselves as. No, no. It was like, uh, I guess it was, it, they did like Zoot Suit Riot. Oh, I see. Yeah. Okay. Big horn bands. I wasn't really into that. No. <laughs> you were into classical trumpet playing. That's right. Yeah. What were you doing in 2000? I was probably just getting ready to graduate, go to university. I was like the last six months of high school. It was just full steam ahead. You're like, I'm getting out of this town and never looking back. I think I probably in my was finishing my first semester where I had front loaded all my classes uh, so I could have a very easy second semester and just like slide out of school. Yeah. So back to Dune. Um, There's one thing I want to mention, and I don't know if you had this in your notes, but so we're watching one of four versions of this series, which is weird that it's that there's that many. But from the little bit of reading I've done so far. The original edit that went to the Sci-Fi Channel was 280 minutes, so it was one long, like, nearly four-hour movie. They had some cuts they wanted to make, obviously, for violence and nudity and that sort of thing. Uh, the version that aired in the, in the States, in the U.S. version, was 265 minutes. They took out 15 minutes of whatever was deemed uh, unacceptable. There was the U.K. version, which I couldn't find out how long it was or how it was different, but the version we're watching is uh, the director's cut, which is has six more minutes of content. So that, that should make these podcasts six minutes longer. Um, and so we're watching the 286-minute version. Jordan, I don't know if it's a good thing that our podcasts are minute per minute equal to the things we're watching. <laughs> That's it's true, because this is going to be a... What, you know what? I thought of this ahead of time. We're going to have to whip over some of these, because there's a lot of scenes where people just walk around. There, there certainly are, Jordan. Um well, let's get into it. But first, I have to tell you, Jordan, what was happening in the world when this show was uh, airing. Oh, right. I mean, I know you wouldn't want to miss this. What was our, our last show was 2003. So, I mean, I, I can't believe we're going to find out what was happening between uh, Harsh Realm and uh, Almost Human. It's actually during during the period of time when Frank Herbert's Dune was airing was during uh, the Florida recount for the Bush-Gore election. A, lo- a lot of hanging Chad jokes were happening at that time. Oh, big hanging Chad joke time. What an era. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Yeah. It was the golden age of comedy, wasn't it? Go- golden age of comedy. We were all a lot more innocent back then. That's before uh, uh, irony died. Remember after September 11th, they said irony was no more? Yeah, no more irony. We're, we're done with it. Yeah. Who said that? I, I don't know. Stupid people. <laughs> Other than that, that, that was the big that was the big event of December. All right, Jordan, should we do this? Yeah, let's do it. All right, here's the IMDb summary for episode one of Frank Herbert's Dune. On the order of the emperor, Dirk Leto Atreides moves his family from his home planet Caladan to another planet, Arrakis, also known as Dune. Uh, says so someone who's read the book, did they ever explain why it's Arrakis and Dune? Like, I'm assuming Dune's a nickname because it's a lot of sand dunes, but is that why? Yeah. Oh, so why didn't he just call it Dune? Why even, why even bother with giving it two names? Because it's a very rich, complicated universe full of many houses and much political intrigue. Right. Yeah. Okay. That answers it. I will say one thing right off the top. I, I enjoyed this Dune title treatment they gave off the top. Like it was kind of like carved into sand, the title Dune. Yeah. As the credits rolled by. Uh, up until like it started crumbling into dust and, and it became clear how bad the VFX were going to be. Uh, we'll get into it, but I think I'm going to slightly disagree with you. I think... Half of the special effects are pretty good, and half of them are pretty bad. Interesting. Well, what I was excited about, Jordan, was that once more, we have a hero who has a lot of dream sequences. Yeah, there, there is a lot of dreams in this, and they, and they really push that idea, which I, which I know was in the 84 movie. I'm assuming it's a, a character point in the book as well. But you, we open on a dream. Actually, we open on narration, don't we? 
No, we open on a dream, I think, because there is um we it's a, it was a weirdly edited battle sequence that was happening, and then it cuts to uh, a melting face. Willem Hurt, uh, who plays Leto, who plays Leto Atreides, uh, the main character's dad, and he kind of uh, dries into beef jerky before our eyes. I didn't really read much before. I was like, I'm just gonna go into this blind, and uh, I didn't realize William Hurt was in it, and I and I saw his like face melt. I was like, that looked a lot like William Hurt. And then when he showed up later, I was like, ah, that makes sense. Hey, can I, can I stop for one second? I want to mention one thing and I forgot off the top. Because we're watching this as one whole part, and uh, I looked and saw that each of these three episodes don't actually have names, I'd like to name each of them. And, I, and I've decided this part one is called The Spice Must Flow. You, you love the idea they say spice all the time. Yeah, so this one's called The Spice Must Flow, part one. <laughs> This oh wait so is it gonna be this part is the spice must flow part two and then the spice must flow part three no 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 part two and part three will have different titles okay I can't wait to hear them yeah I know it's very important uh, essentially though kind of after this dream sequence we enter what I kind of called the first sequence of the show um, because there's a lot of scenes that come and go and like you mentioned a lot of people just walking and talking and this is a dense book and it's all about like past histories and like houses and all kinds of crazy stuff it's like very proto game of thrones so i kind of just broke into the first sequence where we're introduced to paul and he's on a spaceship waiting to go to dune right i you know i thought the ship looked pretty good it was a real slick kind of white looking ship what do you think of it um you didn't like it i as hated much? it you hated it oh i didn't hate it Everything looked like a mid 90s video game where the cutscenes <laughs> were all live action right I didn't hate it. Jordan, I'm going to be honest with you. Now, you didn't make this show. You weren't involved with the creation of this show. I hated you for the first 45 minutes of watching this show. I blamed you for it. I was angry that I was watching it. And you were the, I was just like putting it all on you. I'll be honest. I think every single time I've recommended we watch something, you have hate watched it. And, and hate watched, the hate is directed at me. That seems to be a recurring theme. That's not entirely true. I mean, it was really before this. This is only comparable to Justice League. Oh, right. You were angry at me for Justice League. As I was watching the first 45 minutes of this before I had to turn it off because I was just like, just so unhappy. We, we should say this has a lot of the problems that I find TV movies and miniseries often have. It's very plotting. There's so many scenes of people talking, and the reason they're talking is because they don't want to have some sort of special effect thing. And they're trying to get so much information across, and not all of it may be interesting. Um, so I don't know if it's an ad- adaption issue from the book, but there's just talking and talking and scenes. And you just want to stop and go, guys, what was important of all this? Like, sometimes it's important, but sometimes it's a whole scene, and then one line was important. I mean, we'll get into it as we go, but uh, yeah, I've got a lot of complaints. <laughs> okay. I will say there's something I did like about the ship because it was kind of insane. Like the exterior of the ship seems to be it seems to be just a bunch of like flat metal panels like they're huge where people live inside of them and they're all like spinning together like in a bundle. None of them are attached to each other. They're just kind of circling each other in like a vortex. But there's no the ship has no body. There is like um because uh, you do see at one point they're walking down a pathway and there's like a a force field above them. Do you think that everything just has little force fields on it? Yeah, I feel like the ship is just like a whole bunch of like let's say that each each piece is a kilometer by a kilometer let's just say it's a big squat flat square place where people live inside of like a little ant colony there seems to be like dozens of those none of them touching each other but all kind of like revolving in a circle around each other and kind of like a a bundle of some sort i was like i don't know what i'm looking at production design wise but i will say i've never seen anything like it before yeah i think i think that's what i liked i was like I've never seen a ship that looks like this weird flying pine cone that's breaking apart. Yeah, it's very, uh, that was at least interesting. I will, you know what? I will give it that. We kind of meet Paul Atreides, who's our hero. Uh, He's the guy who's moving to Dune because his dad got a job running Dune, which is, you know, the big spice repository. The, The, what do they say? Spice is the thing that makes like universal commerce possible. Yeah. So Dune is the only place where spice is mind would it would it be mind it produced yeah it's kind of like just scooped off the sand as i said earlier he who controls the spice controls destiny 
Exactly. So spice is the hot commodity. They're going out there. The old the old guys who ran the place are out. Paul's dad is in, and they got to move out there. Paul's a little bit of a whiny baby about it, but whatever. He's a real Luke Skywalker. He is very whiny, and for all the time they take to explain a ton of backstory and a ton of uh, family intrigue and backstory, it's never explained why he's so whiny, other than he's just a whiny, rich little brat. Yeah, this is basically it. Uh, his mother's a woman named Lady Jessica. She's not married to her dad. He, she's like a concubine, I guess. She's a bound concubine, is what they say. Bound concubine. Uh, but she's from a, 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 I guess a, not a race, but like a, a group of space mystics called the uh, Benny Jesuits. Yeah, and they all they all have weird little voices, right? That's their thing. They could do. They get they get gravelly at sometimes, like they're Batman. Yeah, well, they go to see the Reverend Mother, who's going to run some tests on Paul right at the start, and like. She starts talking in like a real low voice and then Paul like matches her. So I guess they both have whatever this power is. I think the idea is when they talk in a low voice, they can maybe mind control people. It's like the force. Yeah. And so this is one of my, I suppose it's a complaint. They add these scene in, these sorts of scenes in. And I, I know it's like important to the book, but it's not really important, at least up to this point in the story. And in this first part, it still doesn't get resolved why it matters that they have these voices. They definitely don't go into a lot of explanation for as to what it means that they have these voices. I'm assuming it'll come back up. I don't really remember from the books, but I I assume it'll come back up at some point. What I do like about this scene, though, is uh, the old woman. I I didn't catch her name. Um, They call it the Reverend Mother. The Reverend Mother. And she's got these sort of like a hat that makes her look. She she has uh, um, uh, Mickey Mouse ears. She she looks like Lady Gaga. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So they go see Lady Gaga and she does the old, hey, put your hand in this and see what happens test. Yeah, it's like a big black box, and he sho- they shove his hand in, and she's like, if you pull your hand out, I'll murder you. And it just sort of shows his hand, like, it becomes clear, and his hand kind of boils and starts to rot away. Yeah, she does this test, he doesn't pull his hand out, and he pulls it out, and she's like, hey, I guess you're tougher than you look. And it was like, uh, okay, great. Do you know what she actually says, which I was very confused by? What did she say? She says, no woman child has ever withstood that much pain. Is that what she said? No woman child? I know. I was just like, what does that have to do with anything? Hmm. I mean, I guess that's something to do. There's some sort of like subplot that it's literally never comes up, I don't think, that uh, his mom was supposed to have a girl so his dad could marry her off to some other house, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. So those are, there's again, they mentioned that in, in a, a later scene. And it was one of those things where I was like, guys, you can cut this. It, no one cares. I realized as we started watching, I was just like, oh, I remember, I'm sort of remembering pieces of this book now. And it's, it's a lot of stuff about like inter house politics in this like massive space empire. And I'm like, this is going to be a slog. Yeah, because uh, the people making this had decided we're going to make this as much like reading a book as possible. Also, um, I guess the Benny Jesuit speaks some ancient languages so occasionally throughout the episode, Lady Jessica will uh, speak one of these ancient space languages. Um, but for whatever reason, the version we're watching is already subtitled in another language. Yeah. And then when she speaks it a different language, a third language is subtitled under that so that I can't even read I what know. she's supposed to be saying. I was also cursing you during this period of time for some reason. <laughs> I know. I, I don't think you can blame the movie on that. I, it's just the version we have, but it was funny. It was like there was four people talking at once. I, 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 I always just when I see that sort of thing, I was like, no, well, I guess it doesn't matter. I'm never going to know. <laughs> I'm never going to know. It doesn't matter. Um, it did, it did, it, so far, it doesn't seem to have mattered any of the subtitling. I'm sure it was a few more like plot points, but I, I don't think I've missed anything anyway. After all this kind of setup about who's Paul and who's his mom and why they're moving to Dune to take care of Spice Trade, etc., etc., they finally are going to, like, launch off and uh, fly this ship across the universe to uh, Arrakis. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's sort of some talk about the people, the, the people who pilot these things, the pilots. And I just thought it was going to be, like, a dude who pilots it, but they push out this big like jar this giant jar these guys with huge cone blue cone heads push out this jar and it opens up and the pilot comes out of the jar and uh i believe it's the bat boy from national Enquirer flies out (laughs) that's that is it's it's a weird bat person it's it's funny you caught that because already my attention was waning and i'm gonna blame that on all of my 
generalities going uh, forward. But I wasn't sure what this was because I remember in the 84 Dune, there's a point where some guys come onto the ship and they open this canister and there's like a floating head or something. And I thought that's what this was supposed to be. I didn't realize this was the pilot. But, but that's, I wrote my note as like, is, did that bat person just make a star and then the, they went through a wormhole? That was my note. Yeah, well, what they say in the show is that the pilots need spice to fly. And uh, Paul says, I hear they used to be human. And I mean, when you see this bat person, it's clearly humanoid. So there, I think the implication is spice has been used to kind of over time create these beings that are able to, I, th- I thought of it as folding space they seem to be able to do kind of make in, in fast and light travel possible because they're able to shape space somehow. I guess Spice has altered them in a way that gives them some sort of mental power to do this thing. I was surprised they didn't spend like 35 minutes explaining it like they do about every other little plot point that's not important to the movie. This is why I knew I I, I knew I was going to be angry at you the whole time. So I'm, I was going to have to write all this stupid stuff down and you're going to be like, I don't know why. And I'm like, I'm going to have to explain it all to you. You don't have to explain it to me. We could just keep going. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just teasing you. I'll be honest. I watched the first 45 minutes, was very angry at you, stopped, came back, and was much more at peace with the second half of the 45 minutes. So I think I'm ready to see the whole series. Good. Good. I had to, I had to stop, meditate, find my peace, come back. And uh, we're introducing old Chubby Checker. What's his name? Well, they arrive at Dune, and you kind of get this shot of the big, the the planet fills the screen. It's this big desert planet. And then in the center of the planet, a face appears and starts monologuing to us uh, about something or another. And this is the, the first appearance of uh, a Baron Harkonnen, the, the villain it, yeah. of the piece. Yeah. But how did you like that man in the moon thing? Well, at first, I just thought it was a weird stylistic thing. And then I realized it, it was because what you see is... It's, it's kind of like his face looking at the screen or something. I mean, the director was going for something. I don't know. It was fine, I guess. Well, the Harkonnens are, you know, they're going to be our big baddies. They're, they're another house that I guess there's a bunch of houses like Game of Thrones. And these guys are, they're kind of known for their gluttonousness. And weirdly, seem to like have stolen a bunch of iconography from the Klingons in this, this adaptation. <laughs> right. Even though, like, they're it's they're not like Klingons because they're not really. I guess they're a little bit of a warring a warring house, but they're they're mostly kind of just like a fat, lazy house. What I liked was the one guy, the nephew. Uh, I don't know what his name, Fatty Arbuckle's uh, nephew. There, he had a very late '90s, early 2000s hair. He had that like sort of like Roman haircut, and I I enjoyed that. I like those little signposts of uh, uh, when a show was shot. You know, like you know, it's a science fiction from the '70s because everyone has sideburns. I liked the other nephew because he had he wore a big triangle behind his head. <laughs> I I know he did. It was just you know what though. I'm all for that. I'm like sure. Why not? It, the, the costume design in this is ridiculous on a kind of good side of that. Like it's all very over the top. And no joke. When I said the uh, Reverend Mother looked like Lady Gaga, like it looked like a Lady Gaga costume. Like all of this stuff looks like a really over the top pop singer would wear. Yeah, it's like the costume designer was like. Oh, you're only going to give me $10 for this budget? Well, here you go. What we come to learn is these, there's like several generations of the Harkonnens have controlled Dune up till now. And they've been real dictators of the planet. And um, having lost it, like this is a huge loss to their income, a huge loss to their self-respect as a house. And uh, they sort of have this idea, or at least Baron Harkonnen floats that he's going to uh, get get back Dune. He's got a plan. He's got a traitor on the inside with uh duke leto who's running the planet now and they're they're basically going to betray him and and kind of get their stuff back and he, he as he does this he's uh he's snorting lines of spice as he does these plans oh and one other thing is this where they first mention the currency of dune because i wrote down and and correct me if i'm wrong they're called solaries oh I, you know what i might have missed this yeah i th- i thought i mean maybe there's something to look out for then in the next episode because i know how, that, how exciting that is but i'm pretty sure they they refer to a currency of solaries because i assumed everything would just be spice because they use spice for everything it seems yeah it doesn't appear to be a currency you're right they, they do have other currency because a lot of people are buying water on dune because there's so right. little water you spend your wages on something to drink this sort of does pop us down to the planet where uh we finally get to hang out with william hurt a bit as this uh, uh duke leto paul's dad and he lives in this like huge palace on this desert planet this is i guess where they're setting up 
and uh we get to know kind of the people who uh, live on the planet are called the Fremens, and he's trying to make peace with them because they've been long subjugated by the Harkonnens. Yeah, and you and you get the sense really early. They really hammer home the point in a couple scenes that he is a very benevolent uh, leader as opposed to how the Harkonnens had been running things. He's he's very nice. His uh, wife slash concubine is very nice to everyone, and he seems a lot more uh, liberal in his way to treat everyone. Yeah, he sends his right-hand man, Duncan, off to try to, like, make friends with the Fremen tribes. He's really trying to, like, be a man of the people to sort of, you know, to control the spice trade, but in, in a more peaceful way. Do you like that old Leto's room is all purple? <laughs> Listen, all of the sets in this are epic. Like, set design is huge. Like, the, everything is a huge palace room. A lot of money went to these sets. It is just too bad that the entire thing looks like it was shot on video and is everything staged like it's a play. It's just like awful to watch. <laughs> yeah, it's true. But I like that he had a, a purple room because the Harkonnen's room was all red and they're just like colors. Well, it, this is what it feels like. It feels like someone videotaped a play. Yeah. And it's it was so unwatchable for the first 45 minutes to me. I'm just like, this is terrible. This isn't a TV show. This isn't a good idea. This is a disaster. <laughs> but on the positive note, in the in the next couple scenes, you get to see uh, uh, William Hurt uh, topless in like a post-coital scene. <laughs> well, that's that's something, all right. Yeah. I mean, a lot of this early stuff is kind of there's a bunch of meetings about taxes and trading routes and and smuggling. There's a lot of kind of dull stuff right off the top, yeah. for sure. I love that because. We're, we're gonna probably get ready because we'll we'll keep saying this over the course of the next three hours the next few episodes of this podcast but this thing has such a problem with forward momentum it's just like scene and now a scene and now a scene but it's never quite clear how this is pushing the story forward at all and stuff like you're right there's like a scene with like taxes so we can know that paul might have a good head on his shoulders like uh, who cares who cares about these taxes yeah it's i mean it's a hazard of dune that's for sure is that you know it is about the minutiae and i it i think you have to be i mean i gotta ask you this right now the 1983 version must be looking pretty good by comparison um you know what it it had some very similar problems and up until like a good chunk of this is it's very like beat by beat the same thing um but sadly it moves faster than this absolutely um it does sort of pick up actually i would say like this is around the 45 minutes where i had to quit um curse your name to all the gods uh take a break and then come back and from this point forward it really it really did pick up a little bit because we we meet uh, this dr keen who's uh who's a local fremen who helps them he's like a biologist who helps them do this stuff and and they basically take a flight out to kind of watch how some of the spice is collected and things really start to pick up from here i find I found anyway. Maybe I just calmed down. Um, but they like take these crazy flying machines out to watch, which are the design of these are insane. They land with like legs sort of things like they're just houseflies. It wasn't CGI, right? Were they little models? I think some of it was CGI. Some of it was models, but they're just houseflies. That's all they are. Is that what they're supposed to look like? They all they look like is houseflies. <laughs> they're just like fat bodies, little wings, and then little like sucky legs. that <laughs> Little sucky legs. Yeah. Well. They look completely unmaneuverable. <laughs> you know what? They work in those sandstorms. Yeah, apparently, apparently. Um, but they get out, and we get it. We get to see kind of um, them putting on these still suits, which is a big thing in the book. It's it's a it's a suit designed to like any water you're losing from sweat or bodily materials. It takes it repurposes it into water, so you won't die when you're out in the out in the desert. I did think the theater 1984 version of Dune. These suits look better. I thought really. Yeah, I, I just thought like. I mean, look, they, they look less practical. They were these weird, like, muscular bodysuits. In this, I just thought, like, eh. I was like, oh, they I, they don't they weren't evocative of anything to me. Yeah, I mean, they didn't spend a lot of time on them, and I didn't. They didn't really even like, like, when they introduced them, they don't even like do a full body shot of them. They're just kind of like, yeah, this is what they do, and they don't really spend a lot of time getting to know them. But you know, it's kind of a nice detail, and they and they fly out and they get to see this huge spice harvester driving across the desert it's really low polygon count because it's a terrible vfx yeah. but it's out there sucking up the spice off the sand yeah but that brings uh sandworms and thank god i will say this was the highlight of the episode these sandworms i'd agree they're like the in the scale of them is absolutely insane they like managed to nail like the 
unimaginable scale of these worms. Yeah, because they, they look like, I don't even know what it would be in, in ratio, but they look like they could eat the little uh, ships without even noticing it. Yeah, they're, they're city size. They're bigger than a city. They're like so big. I, thought, I, I liked it. I, I thought it was good. And they got some big sarlacc-like mouths. They got all those like tentacles in the mouth mm-hmm. or like teeth or whatever. And, you know, they, they fly down, they rescue the workers on this uh, little little harvester to show what good people they are, and they get away, and the harvester gets eaten. But what I liked is when they come back, Paul's kind of studying a hologram of the worms to, like, learn more about them. And it, like, had the funny, like, it's just a voiceover explaining what the worms are, and it's, like, the funniest, dumbest misdirect ever, because it, like, kind of comes back, probably from commercial or something, and it's just like, these are the worms. There's no evidence of a link between worms and spice. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, I'm sure not. I'm sure there's nothing between them. <laughs> yeah, it's just one of those weird things like, why would you ever even mention that? Yeah, it, this will never come back up. You're like, hey, you know that guy over there wearing a hat? There's no uh, association between the hat and the wind. You're like, what? <laughs> why would you ever even say that? And later on, of course, it's a flying hat. Oh, of course. I should have seen it coming. Right? Yeah. And we get a little explanation to uh, this Dr. Keens, this Fremen biologist who is helping the family. He he gives a bit of explanation around this uh, this idea the Fremen have of of the Mahdi. They're like a messiah. It's the idea of a coming messiah. Yeah, and what do they expect this uh, messiah to do when it comes to uh, Arrakis or Dune? You know, I don't know what they wanted. I just wrote down that it, I, I, I really focused on getting the spelling right so I could tell you how it's spelled. Right. Well... They sort of talk about how this Messiah, he'll be born of a Benny Jesuit, which Paul is, so good sign. Yeah. But essentially starts talking about how this Mahadi will change the very climate of Dune into something more habitable. Right, that's right. And they do um, sort of lay the groundwork for that a little bit because there's an earlier scene that's just insufferably long where uh, you see that there's plants in the main... uh, what do you call it? Like castle. Yeah, in the palace. In the palace. And and they sort of have a scene about like, oh, plants can grow here? Like, yeah, use a lot of water. And I was like, okay, why is this here? But it's clearly they're setting up for later that the, the planet can, you know, if they had the proper messiah, they could have plants. Oh, interesting. I, I read that scene because it's a bit of um, like a eco center on the thing. And I read it because they had a conversation about how it was only there so the Harkonnens could like rub it in the face of the Fremens about how much water they were wasting on these dumb plants. Hmm. It was it was a way of punishing them further. Classic Harkonnens. Because uh, Lady Jessica said, tells her her uh, housemaid that let everybody, all the Fremen can come look at it. At least they'll feel better about it then. And they do. Everyone loves plants. <laughs> but going forward, you know, the story does pick up here. That we get a, we get a scene where uh, an assassin tries to kill Paul with this hunter seeker. It almost looked like like a worm or a bug of some sort yeah it's a little metal drone that comes through the room but but you know what i liked about it it came through the room through like a little portal above his bed but that portal like it's like a little um like sliding door but it seemed like that was designed exactly for that dart i don't know what else what else would they use that for like delivering a food directly into his bed i thought that too i was like what is what what is the practical purpose of this uh weird door that opens above his bed and then it kind of occurred to me, like, oh, right, the Harkonnens are evil. Maybe they just designed a bunch of, like, weird traps. That's that's how right. I wrote it off. Yeah, but anyways, a dart comes in. He does the whole, like, don't move. And then he uh, he he's able to not get killed by the dart. But it goes into, oh, he saves he saves the servant girl. And they keep trying to push this. I'm like, who's the servant girl? Who cares about her? Oh, yeah, she was sort of nameless. I'm not sure if that'll come back. But uh, did you did you catch how the drone operates? The hunter, hunter seeker. Wasn't it the same as um, uh, like the T-Rex? It, it could only uh, sense movement? Well, that's the thing. It can only attack if there's movement. It can only see movement. But there's an operator using it. So I guess the video camera it has is only able to pick up movement? It, yeah, that's that, that's right. <laughs> after, after Paul kind of like catches it and crushes it, uh, there's a big hunt for the operator through the castle and, and their resident war master manages to catch the guy and cuts the guy's throat and uh, Duke Leto's pretty pissed off. His son was almost murdered and uh, what, what, is he, what does he say to do with the body of the drone operator? I, I have no idea. He, uh, he tells the war master to burn the body, accept the hands which they're going to fill with spice and send to the Baron Harkonnen. Oh, really? 
Well, that's yeah. I thought it was good. It was a real good uh, like warning. But Har- but he doesn't even have to do that because Harkonnen's angry already. He's already angry at his nephew because he did not want them to do an assassinated assassination attempt. Yeah, basically, his dumb nephew put this into place and like is ignoring his, uh, the Baron's like larger plan to take down Leto. So uh, he's he's very angry for a moment, and then they're like, oh, whatever. We'll just push up our plan. It doesn't really affect anything. Yeah, and. I have so many questions because I'm just like, I don't really understand what the plan was. Like, I guess initially he's like, the plan is I'm going to let him get real comfortable and then I'm going to get him. I guess the idea is that he has been given this new position and he is already very wary of people pulling him out of that position. So he wants him to get comfortable and then he'll attack. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I guess it's a plan. I guess so. He's a big old lazy guy. He just is using an excuse to sit around. (laughs) <laughs> that probably explains it because he doesn't even stick to that plan like it's like oh like a week goes by he's like oh i can't wait any longer <laughs> anyway it goes from here into uh, a bit of a dinner party sequence where um the emperor's daughter shows up as like a, a sign of goodwill from the emperor so there's there are houses in this universe there's an emperor who runs the galaxy i guess and he's got a daughter who's covered in butterflies who he sends to hang out at this dinner party. But the whole thing is there's like a banquet scene for some reason. There's a lot of conversations about water that I wasn't paying attention to. You didn't get all the all the all the stuff about the Fremen water customs? Honestly, I, I could not have paid less attention if possible. Well, wh- what did they do with the princess's bath towels? I have no idea. I wasn't paying attention. They confiscated them for their squeezings. <laughs> okay, sure. Honestly, it was when they get into these conversations, it's so boring. I just am waiting for something to happen. I don't want to see a bunch of people sit around and talk about stuff that I can't see and I don't care about. Do the Fremen drink their dead's blood, Jordan? Sure, I don't know. No, they drink all the moisture of their dead. <laughs> this is great. I don't even need to watch the show. Jordan, are the birds on Arrakis cannibals? Um, it seems like a weird question to ask if they weren't, so I'm going to assume they were, but I don't know. They aren't. They just drink oh. blood, but not their own. Because <laughs> oh, there's no okay. water to drink. Man, if this was a test, I would not be doing well. You're not even watching this movie. <laughs> this scene, it, I was just like, something happened. Please, something happened. Well, eventually Paul does, like, leave the banquet, and he goes he goes off to hang out with this war master guy who's uh, who's drinking some spice beer and playing his lute. Oh, and and here, here he does, like... um. He, he does what I assume is supposed to be an impersonation of the Harkonnen guy, but it's evocative of nothing. He, he puts on a little play for the War Master where he pretends to be Baron Harkin of the house Hog. Nailed it. Because he's so big. <laughs> this is satire at its finest. But guess what? The princess was listening the whole time. Yes, the princess pops in and she she's there. She they kind of flirt. The they have a bit of a conversation about you know which of these two rich heirs has it worse, uh, whiny Paul or whiny princess. They they both are complaining about what a hard lives they have. It's it's just like so disingenuous. But they're also supposed to be flirting. But the acting is now. I don't know if I'm going to change my opinion on the on the guy who's playing Paul. But I find his acting so wooden, I don't really know what he's trying to articulate from scene to scene. I mean, I think this early bit is just supposed to show he's he's supposed to be a bit of this like whiny rich kid, I think. I think this is the purpose. Like he's supposed to eventually evolve into a hero. And what we're seeing, I think, in this first episode is him, you know, as this as this pretty sheltered kid who's who's, you know, thinks he knows best, but has no life experience. Right. But in this scene, you're supposed to see two people flirting and it, it does not work at all. If this is supposed to be a setup know. for like a romance later, I didn't think it worked. I think it was fine. It was not as bad as other things we've seen. All right. I mean, we just watched two two actors barely look at each other across a room and were sold that as romance. This was better than that. <laughs> That's true. Anyway, uh, Leto's right hand Duncan gets back from hanging out with the Fremen and they like They've made some. They made some headway into getting involved with the Fremen tribes, and to sh- show their respect, one of them just spits on the ground. You do that. Why did he spit on the ground, Jordan? I don't know. It was a thank you. He was thanking him with his body's water. Whoever it was that complained earlier that my attention to detail is not very good on this, they're just they're having a field day with this episode. <laughs> what I say to them in response is, "You watch this." <laughs> They'd love to come on. I'm sure. Yeah anyway that night kind of after this banquet the big attack from the harkonnen starts like they 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 basically put their plan into effect and the head maid gets killed and 
Leto gets paralyzed. Her name is Mapes. Mapes the head maid. That's right. It doesn't matter. She's dead now. She's dead now. And she goes, traitor, shields. And that, that's all they can give her to let you know what the plan is. I mean, it doesn't matter because they don't stop the plan. Yeah. The traitor is revealed. And he's this character we've seen once or twice. This guy named Dr. Yu. Yue, maybe? Dr. Yue? Either way, you basically get a thing that he, he betrayed them uh, by... I don't think you actually see this, but I know it from the other movie, is that he essentially pulls down the shields to the city so the other guys can attack, essentially decimating everything. And the reason he did it was old, uh, uh, what's his name? Baron Hark- Harkonnen, whatever his name is. Uh, he sort of promised him that he's going to get his wife back, who he's he's held captive. Right. And Dr. Yu, Yue, now, is he a mentant? I think he is. Because this is something they keep mentioning. It's some sort of, like, smarty pants you keep around to advise you. And they, they seem to have some sort of conditioning. Yeah, I, I, it, I mean, it's it's not clear. I know that uh, not everyone is sort of approves of it because the sort of uh, right-hand guy to Paul, that's secret, he sort of, like, uh, poo-poos them. Yeah, well, and Paul even says at some point, he's like, well, he couldn't be the traitor because his conditioning would never allow him to be. So it's hmm. weird. There's some sort of thing they've done, I guess, to keep them loyal, but it, uh, it doesn't work because his loyalty to his wife, I guess, supersedes this. Right. At any rate, he what he's done is he's paralyzed Leto. So he can't do anything. Willem Hurt's just on the ground paralyzed, but he feels bad for what he's done. And he he goes to him and he gives him something so that in the end, Leto can get his revenge on Harkonnen for executing this plan. And so what he gives him is a tooth. And what you find out is a tooth is sort of like a, um, uh, like what you would have seen like like in a, a spy a spy novel or something. You know, someone bites it and, and they kill themselves. But in this case, you bite down on it and it sprays out a gas to everyone in front of you and kills them. Right, right. So it, it'll be a way for Leto to at least... Well, he will still have lost everything, at least get his revenge on the person who did that. And what we kind of see is Harkonnen and the, is attacking with his forces. And we also kind of get an implication that amongst these forces that came with the princess are the emperor's forces. Because the emperor apparently also has a hate on for Leto because I guess Leto's also very popular, not just amongst the Fremen, but amongst the general houses. Didn't that seem like a real roundabout way? Because the emperor could leto in charge of dune and so he kicked out harkonnen to put leto in but then he had uh harkonnen attack to get rid of leto i was like that's a real weird way around of just maybe just don't give him dune to begin with it's definitely i think whatever the background is certainly lost in translation here uh but i was also just like why did you put i'm like so complicated everybody this is so complicated it's complicated but you don't there's no real sense of intrigue at least not in this version it's just like things happen you're like okay exactly this is the big we should say in the big attack scene they sort of set this up and it happens really quickly it was a very unimpressive attack scene didn't you feel that way it goes by so like it takes place really quickly you barely get any shots of soldiers attacking and they, they kind of take the palace instantaneously. In fact, we don't even see, like, it happens off screen, but they catch Paul and Jessica, Lady Jessica, and, like, leave them in the dunes to die. They drop them off in the desert. It All of it happens off screen. Yeah, that's what's crazy about this. They spend so much time on scenes like talking about people's wet rags and, and using that for drinking water. But then in action scene, they, they it's like, oh, yeah, don't worry. Don't look over there. That's happening off screen. And we finally get this scene where the Baron Harkin comes in and he, he's got paralyzed Leto sitting at a desk and, you know, gives him a big speech about why he's doing this, this generational feud. He's finally putting an end to the, the feud between their two houses by killing them all. And uh, Dr. Yu shows up and he's like, well, can I have my wife back now? And he's just like, surprise, I killed your wife and now I'm going <laughs> to kill you too. He's a real jerk. He's like, Dr. Yu, you could have seen this coming. But you know what I like, though? Not only did he kill her, he kept her nice and preserved, and he brought her out like as a nice display of, like, not only did I kill her, here she is. What do you think of that? Yeah, I got her in this nice crystal coffin for you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he was a real jerk. <laughs> Duke Leto, he's paralyzed, but he can still kind of talk, so he starts mumbling, trying to get uh, Baron Harkonnen to come a little closer toward him so he can bite this tooth and kill him. And he almost gets him. He gets pretty close. He bites the tooth, but 
Baron Harkonnen thankfully has because uh, because he's such a uh, large man has these anti gravity things that we never really see up close. But I guess he can float. Mostly just looks like a Peter Pan play where someone's on yeah. wires. But he kind of floats away, so he gets away from the gas, which kills Leto and his henchmen. And we just get this insane scene where he floats up away from the gas and he floats up toward the camera. Like the camera's like in the top corner of this of a very large set. And he floats all the way up to the to the camera, so he's like in frame. And then Harkonnen turns around, looks directly into the camera, and starts monologuing for the audience. It was a weird choice. It was I I'm, I can't remember what the term is, and I'm sorry to people who really know plays and things. But whatever that is, when you sort of break the fourth wall and just talk to the audience, that's exactly what was happening. Uh, absolutely. And then we kind of jump forward and we we wake up in the desert with paul and lady jessica they've been left out there thankfully one of these house flies land nearby and uh duncan and dr keens are on to save them we kind of get a little explanation around uh duncan uh, duncan has a ring from his father that uh he gave to him in case he ever died to give to paul and then the harkonnen forces show up and start attacking this fremen camp they're hiding out at what did you think of those uh Harkonnen ships they're like boomerangs or like little birds or something all of the ship designs don't seem to make a lot of sense but they at least are interesting looking I don't know how any of them work but I was like well that looks like a weird ship so I'll give them that that's true I mean they all do at least have a distinct visual cue and and we do get a ship chase scene here yeah well Paul and Jessica get away. They get on one of these housefly ships and try to get away. Uh, this right-hand man, Duncan, he's like, I can't go with you. You have to stay with the Fremen. And as they fly away, they just show him exploding. Yeah, I know. I know. That was, I was, I, I thought, I was like, that's a, was a bad idea. I will say in this first episode, they really cleared the cast of characters. Like nobody we met at the beginning of this episode is alive, but like Jessica and Paul. That's it. Yeah, and they and they have a spaceship chase. There's a, one of those classic spaceship chase. It's a canyon run where you got to fly through the canyons, kind of like Star Wars or Independence Day or something. As after they come out through all these sort of like tunnels and and mountainscapes and stuff, they see there's a big gigantic sandstorm. I guess you would call it, and it's sort of one of those like you'd be crazy to go in the sandstorm, and it'd be like, wouldn't I be crazy not to? And they fly into the sandstorm, and that's sort of where this episode ends. Yeah, it's the it's kind of the end of part one of, of the mini series, and it, I mean, it's really cleaned the slate. Like we're kind of at a new story at this point. We we've seen all this stuff; it's all been washed away for the most part, and now we're going to start fresh. I guess part two. Yeah, it was a long way to get where I know I know probably people who love the book would hate me saying this, but it, I feel almost like you could have started here and figured out how to show a lot of the other stuff. You know, like. If this was an actual movie, like an hour and a half movie, as opposed to a four-hour thing, I was just like, there was a lot of that that didn't need to be in here. I will say, it, why I think I managed to, when I took my break at 45 minutes and came back and watched the last half, I really think how I made my piece at it is, I kind of realized the director made a choice, for better or for worse, he read these books, and in his idea of the adaptation, probably unlike other adaptations, is he saw it really as a Shakespearean play. So it's all staged like a play. There's a lot of monologuing. There's often characters who will pop up, like like in a Shakespeare play, like two guards will kind of have a quick conversation that isn't so much a conversation as exposition about like, this queen had this happen, and this king thinks this. Um, and that happens quite a few times. And I think once I sort of accepted, I'm like, what I'm watching here is the writer-director's idea of how to adapt this is to treat it like Shakespeare. Right. That's, that's a good way of looking at it. And if you think about it that way, I mean, it kind of works. Like, the monologuing, all this hearkening, talking to the camera, the the ways of getting through exposition. Once I sort of tried to accept that as the reality of it, it became a little more palatable. I mean, not the way I would have preferred them to try, but it's at least it's at least an interesting take on the material and it's something anyway it's something well do you want to rate this um yeah sure why not uh what do you think jordan i think for a first episode i think it had a few things going for it i kind of liked how look as i said before i think some of the design really worked i think some of the special effects worked I, i'm a big 
I'm a big fan of models and I like matte painting backgrounds and stuff as opposed to seeing a CGI background. That's just my personal preference. There was a lot of that and I liked it. Now, some of the flying sequences and things I didn't think looked as looked as good in terms of special effects. I think some of the acting was a little bit wooden. I think it was a little bit plodding, but I did like I like that one room was purple for no reason and one room was red for, for no reason and I did like the designs of the weird costumes and I'm I like William Hurt. Uh, so I'm going to give this right down the middle of five out of 10, five out of 10. Well, I just, I just monologued about coming to accept the director's vision of it. And you know, Willem hurts in it. And so is that giant sandworm, which I liked. Oh yeah. The sandworm. I thought that looked good too. Yeah, but I'm still giving it a one. It sucked. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love it. I love it so much. When you give really, really low ones, this movie sucks. You, you've given it, <laughs> you've given it no there's no room for you to go lower now because at least i have four through one now for the next episodes which i'm assuming are going to get worse <laughs> oh i don't think it could possibly get worse <laughs> oh i love that i love how unhappy you are that's my favorite thing <laughs> well i'm hoping things will pick up in episodes two and three. Oh no i'm hoping they get worse <laughs> Ah oh, man, I don't know how I'll get through if they get worse. <laughs> this, this, I say, even though I gave this a five, this was the slowest thing I think I've watched in a long time for this podcast. Yeah, I mean, real, real low point for us. I think this one episode. I stopped at one point to do laundry because that was more exciting than watching this. <laughs> and you get all those clean clothes. That's true. It was a win-win. Well, if you have anything to say about this uh, this Dune miniseries, maybe you watched it when it aired and you kind of have some thoughts, maybe placing it in its proper time zone of like the two, year 2000, maybe that helps like ground it in the right place. You can email us and kind of tell us about it at uh, continuumdrag at gmail.com. And you know what? There will be some weird clips that we're going to put up for sure because there's some weird visuals in this. I mean, that Bat Boy for one. Yeah, if and if you just see those things, you'll think this is uh, this is a real interesting uh, TV show. But we'll be doing you a favor by only showing you the fun things. Uh, you can follow us to see those on Instagram and Twitter at Continuum Drag. And uh, I guess I'm gonna sign off now, Jordan, and try to get through the next episode. Uh, maybe 15 minutes at a time. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. Well, you know what? Either way, the spice will flow. Hey, man, as long as that spice keeps flowing, I'll keep snorting it. That's true. And on that note, see you next week, Jordan. See you later. Continuum Drag is recorded at Astrolab Studios in Toronto, Ontario. Theme music by James Rexiedler. Produced by Jordan Delick and Luke Black. Special thanks to Adam Wheatner, Jeff Hanley, and Dwayne Wright.